You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. As the baby boom generation ages, Alzheimer's disease may well become an even greater health issue than it is already. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and joining us today is Dr. Bill Thies, Vice President of Medical and Scientific Relations at the Alzheimer's Association in Chicago. We are speaking about the advances that have been made in the area of research. Welcome, Dr. Thies. Uh, Good morning, Laura. It's nice to be with you. So nice to have you. What are some of the warning signs and initial symptoms for early detection of Alzheimer's? Well, the first things that people see with Alzheimer's disease are a deterioration in one's memory. It is not the sort of thing that we all have every day where we mislay our car keys or something like that. But we begin to forget things that are really important to us Um, And sort of a a distinction that's often made is that forgetting your car keys is perfectly normal. Forgetting what your car keys do is not and uh, uh, deserves some further attention. Typically, when people start to forget things that would normally be important to them, like important appointments, or they begin to lose the ability to do things that they've often been very good at. I see. And could you give us some background on Alzheimer's disease? When did it officially become a diagnosis, and what made that happen? Well, Alzheimer's disease was first identified in the early 1900s, uh, 1906. Alois Alzheimer's published his uh, first uh, observations around his first patient, and uh, he was also interested in neuropathology, and so he did the classic evaluation of brain structure that demonstrated the plaques and tangles that are still used in the diagnosis of the disease today. Uh, However, his first patient was 49 years old when she first came to him, and um, so that set up um, uh, a history where for about the next 70 years, Alzheimer's disease was thought of as a very rare neurologic condition that only happened in younger people. So it's primarily a problem of memory. It is primarily. But what happened in about 1970 is that some of the neuropathologists started to observe that this condition called Alzheimer's disease was exactly the same as what you saw in lots of older people that had up until then been considered either some vascular event or some part of normal aging. I see. Are there premorbid factors that predict the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's in people? There are a few uh, genetic determinants of Alzheimer's disease that are very rare. So they are important from a research standpoint, but not terribly important in public health. There also is a gene called ApoE4, which is broadly distributed in the population, increases risk, but uh, doesn't cause the disease directly. Are there lifestyle factors or living sort of problems in living that are often associated with the onset of Alzheimer's? In fact, what we've seen in the last few years is that there's a strong relationship between vascular risk factors and the risk of Alzheimer's disease. So people who have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, are obese at uh, middle age, um, who have sedentary lifestyles, all seem to have more Alzheimer's disease. I see. So what do you think and what does research show is actually happening in the brain? 
We certainly know that we begin to get a loss of connections between neurons in the brain, and that clearly causes the dysfunction. And that loss of connection is associated with the development of amyloid plaques and tangles that are made out of another protein called tau. The amyloid is extracellular, the tau is intracellular, but because we are understanding the biochemistry of the disease at this point, we are now on the track to finding therapies that we hope will change the progression of the disease and eventually be useful in prevention. I see. And are there some, um, some measures that people can take to offset it? Certainly, uh, one of the most important things is to get an early diagnosis because uh, you can't do anything until that. We do have four medications currently that are useful in the symptoms for treating the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. Those drugs will certainly offer people some relief, but they don't seem to affect the underlying progression. Other things that you might want to think about earlier in life is that adopting a lifestyle that is characterized by regular medical evaluation of vascular risk factors, uh, exercise and diets that are higher in vegetable and lower in fat all really contributes to people's lowering their risk of Alzheimer's. Wow, those factors make a difference for the onset of most diseases, don't they? They do, and, and so one of the things that you can be guaranteed is that uh, all of those things are going to result in you moving into the later years of your life being as functional as possible, which I think is an aim for most of us. Yes. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and we are speaking with Dr. Bill Thies, Vice President of Medical and Scientific Relations at the Alzheimer's Association. We are discussing some of the components of the disease and research findings to date. Dr. Thies, what about denial in the case of the families and the patients who have Alzheimer's? Well, denial is a very strong force that tends to cause diagnoses getting made later in the disease rather than earlier, and that's unfortunate. In the patient's case, early on in the disease, they may want to deny that there's, there's anything wrong. Later on in the disease, the patient tends to lose their insight into their loss of function, which in some ways is kind to the patient, but it will also delay diagnosis. Families typically um, don't want to uh, recognize the disease, um, most often, I think, because uh, uh, it is often a, a matriarch or patriarch in the family that's showing the disease, and um, uh, that causes a, a sort of an unfortunate role reversal that I think is not comfortable for any of us, where children have to take charge of the parents. And um, as, as that happens... Uh, uh, many, many people um, will simply say, oh, gosh, I think it's not that bad. Yes, understandably, but it really can contribute to further deterioration, can't it? It, it can, and, and uh, certainly as we anticipate the development of uh, disease-modifying drugs over w what we think is the relatively near future, it is going to change some of the dynamics of that. Now I think you get some some benefit from early treatment with the current medications uh, because 
if you're treated early, it brings you back closer to normal. Yes. And what have we learned, really, over the last 20 years or so in terms of treatment and detection? We've learned quite a bit and have really been able to move much of that out into um, relatively common knowledge. I think if you look at uh, at some of the seminal events that occur in a, in a year for Alzheimer's disease, the, the Alzheimer's Association runs a couple of international conferences. And as you look at the acceleration of the science presented at those conferences, you can see that we are learning more and more about the molecular biology of Alzheimer's disease. How, how do these plaques get made? How do the tangles get made? How do they cause dysfunction? Where can we find targets in there where we might be able to interrupt this pathological biochemistry? And, and now the most exciting pieces are that um, at our next conference, which is going to come up this June, there will be the first phase three trial reported for a disease-modifying medication for Alzheimer's disease. Obviously, before they report, you don't know whether it's going to work or not, but, but it's very exciting that things have gotten that far. That means that many, many hurdles have been overcome. I might just add in there is that, that um, we are facing a bit of a discontinuity at this point. Alzheimer's disease is going to be the, the dominant disease affecting our healthcare system in the next 30 years. Yes. Does it cut across racial and cultural lines? It, it certainly does. It's an equal opportunity disease. It appears in people who have all kinds of resources and people who don't have any. It also does seem as if there is a bit more in African-American populations than Hispanic populations. But one of the things that is going to drive the increase in numbers over the next um, uh, next 30 years is the World War II baby boom population uh, moving into the ages where they will develop Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. If you have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and we are speaking with Dr. Bill Thies, Director of Medical and Scientific Relations at the Alzheimer's Association. We are discussing some of the components of the disease and research findings to date. And how can doctors get their patients involved in some of these clinical trials with the new drugs? The most important thing is to know where uh, to find information about those trials. There's a terrific resource at clinicaltrials.gov. You can also find that if you go to our website, www.alz.org, there's a link to it. And uh, when you go in there, you can search on disease and you can search on on, uh, location so you can find out which trials are being done in your community for which uh, diseases. And I might just say that this is really terribly important for uh, particularly general practice physicians who really see the bulk of the patients. They have a, a, a terrific role to play in encouraging their patients to make sensible decisions around clinical trials because ultimately we won't answer the Alzheimer's problem if, if we do not have the involvement of the public in many ways, and one of the really critical areas is involvement in the large clinical trials to prove new medication. It's fantastic. So there's a lot of hope for the future for patients. There really is. Uh, at the association, at the Alzheimer's Association here, we, we have uh, a tremendous sense of optimism. Uh, 
there are uh, a fair number of drugs in uh, in phase three trials at this stage, and an even bigger number in phase two trials coming along behind. And they won't all work, but but uh, the odds are that some of them will. And as those drugs begin to come online, they're going to open up a, a whole new world for us. So it's really important that physicians know about these trials and what opportunities are available for their patients. It certainly is, because it's not only an opportunity for their patients for today, but it is the opportunity to have these therapies in routine use for tomorrow that will really um, uh, help them serve their patients as much as they can. Thank you so much for your wisdom and what you're doing. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Bill Thies, who's joined us today to talk about the state of medical research for Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.